from Montana for Montana. It's Voices of Montana. Hi, I'm Tom Schultz, host of the program. Thanks for clicking on the podcast. Please subscribe and please contact me here for show suggestions or comments at Tom at VoicesOfMontana.com. Like any industry, you're you're dealing with issues, you're dealing with challenges, but there's there's ups along with those downs as well. We're talking about that here today for Montana's wool growing industry and land producers, how the industry is managing with ever increasing predator populations. We'll also talk about the opportunities in the market as we broadcast live in front of a live audience. I'm going to check that. Are we live here today? Yeah. Ah, see, there we are. From the 140th annual Montana Wool Growers Convention, live today on Voices of Montana. It's time for the fastest hour in radio from Montana for Montana, Voices of Montana with remote Tom Schultz. Call in today at 866-627-5483 or text a comment or question to 781-627-5483. Now, here's your host, Tom Schultz. With a host of experts here from the wool industry and the lamb industry as well. And again, thank you for being here. It's a Friday. That's only two more working days this week. That's good. We'll keep hanging in there. And thank you for making your Montana mornings. Two decades strong and working on three. From Montana for Montana, Voices of Montana. Got a host of folks here. Let's, uh, let's get to them first. Let's introduce Coulter Brown because I'm looking at his notes here. Coulter, there's there's some things to talk about and we've got a list here of folks who are going to answer some of these questions. You bet, Tom. There are no shortage of issues to talk about here in the, the sheep industry and the egg industry in general, so glad to be here. I'm not one of the experts. I'm just kind of the, the color commentary that's here to keep Dave McEwen in line, So, but, but glad to be here for the Wool Growers <laughs> That'll take the whole table i think uh, to do that <laughs> so uh, you mentioned dave McEwen is with us here on the far end uh, the american lamb with the american lamb board a member there uh, good morning dave how you doing good good, good. thanks for being here thank yeah. you for having me yep callie michaels also uh, uh montana wool growers association public affairs director good morning callie good morning tom thank you go ahead and turn that mic up a little bit or i got it over here um and then we got brett raider from the msu extension office sheep specialist how you doing good tom how are you good good uh, good to see you and then ben lafelt is with us here asi vice president and mwga director good morning ben good to be here thanks Tom. W- what are you getting for christmas ben Hopefully more sheep coming on Monday. So. Yeah, all right, all right, good. Um, well, let's let's start with you. What's on the top of your plate? If, if we were going to um, just let our public know some of the things that you, um, you want them to know that this industry is dealing with, what would that be? Well, you know, we've got a great convention. It sounds like we're going to have our, you know, full rooms all the way along for this Wool Growers Convention. Good. And, you know, this is one of the premier conventions in the nation. When I go out as ASI representative, I hear back from people, oh, I remember the time I was at the Montana Wool Growers and we were shearing sheep and we were shotgunning beers. And, you know, <laughs> we just have a lot of fun here and a lot of camaraderie. And that, you know, that's really important um, uh, to this industry, and we want to bring those young folks in and understand that. Well, you know, Ben, what really dictates how producers feel is, is you know, how this year has gone. And so I'd ask you, as a, as a producer yourself from Levina, what, what, what's the sentiment of producers here? You know, we've been through some challenging years with drought, low prices, but in many ways, 23 is a better year. So how are guys here feeling in the room? Well, I think in Montana, our region, you know, it's weather-wise, and that's always a big part of livestock uh, it's been a really nice change uh, since June when we got some moisture. Um, you know, Wyoming went through a pretty heavy winter, but you know that really put some 
moisture in the ground, so that's made it good. We, we're not stranger to volatility in the lamb industry. Um, as ASI and one of the Wogors, we try to look for ways to try to make that a little easier for producers. One of the things we're doing is um, we've got Watson Associates coming, who's actually located in Billings, Montana. ASI, uh, through RMA and through actually a uh, senator in Arkansas, Bozeman, kind of really spearheaded us to get some listening sessions, understood the plight of, of, uh, of our lamb producers in the U.S., and has commissioned this Watson Associates to go out and get listening sessions to put another insurance product in for our producers. We lost the LRP, which is our lamb insurance program, because of that volatility, because of our uh, market, so we haven't been able to track our live prices. So it's very important for our producers to get out Make sure we get the right product out there, get RMA to put it there so we can help our producers be a little more profitable and get rid of a little of that volatility. Well, you mentioned another insurance product. There really isn't an insurance product for producers. You know, crop producers have one, cattle producers have one, and another option coming this year. But for the lamb industry, there's few ways to manage the risks that are present out there. And this meeting, it'll be in Belfouche, so in the heart of feeder lamb country in the Northern Plains. Yeah, and I, th- I think they're going to try to stop by here as well. There'll be a virtual session, and then we'll have a session in the ASI convention January 10th through the 13th in Denver as well. And it's really a, a accelerated timeline and right after that they're going to deliver a report to RMA and hopefully we can continue that motion and get a product out there that will help our producers. You bet. Well, I want to you know, get Brent involved in the discussion here. And Brent, I know we've got a lot of updates coming from Montana State University. Appreciate all that you do for the sheep industry. But I think the biggest thing that, that we're going to talk about here today is the wool lab. Maybe it might have you provide kind of a high-level update on the, the efforts that have gone in thus far to, to get pretty close to having a brand-new wool lab at Montana State. First one in, what, 75 years is how old the current one is? Yeah, we're 75 years. The current wool lab has served uh, three generations of growers in Montana. Montana. The new facility is, uh, we're, we're breaking ground on it right now. It's going to be part of a tri-lab uh, facility with uh, the new diagnostic lab and the new ag analytics lab. And so the, the focus of that really is going to be getting back to the foundation. MSU, I think, does a phenomenal job not only educating, uh, you know, youth in this state, but also uh, it's one of the nation's leaders in terms of agricultural research. So the focus of this new facility is really going to be taking a deep dive back into the research, the hard research. Um, we all know the wool industry is, is struggling a little bit right now. Um, there are some big topics out there. I think global warming kind of is, is the big one that runs in the room. One that a lot of people aren't as familiar with is this uh, uh, microfiber contamination, the uh, polyester clothing. A lot of that comes about 45% of the plastic contamination on our fresh and salt water actually comes from washing uh, polyester clothing. This stuff is showing up everywhere. Uh, I mean, literally everywhere, blood, uh, all kinds of places. So I think we just kind of need to get back to doing some basic research on on natural products like wool, uh, hemp, cotton, things of that nature that biodegrade out there uh, and get back to more of a sustainable system and I think people are looking for that so that probably be one of the major focuses we take at the at the new facility and getting very close on the new facility here so the legislator said they the legislature said they'd commit five million dollars we could raise a million privately 
How is the fundraising effort going? We're sitting, sitting a little over uh, 500000 on on private equity that we've raised. Uh, so we have about two years. They're telling us we're going to move in uh, fall of 25. Uh, everybody's pretty excited to, with inflation costs on building. It's like we just need to get this thing built. But we're, we're currently still uh, actively fundraising for that, and, uh, and we're going to get there. Yeah, so it, it'll be the first new wool lab built. Uh, universities are kind of used to tearing down wool labs and so there's only two university wool labs left in the whole United States one of them in Texas and and uh, the one here in, in in Bozeman that we're building so the time to give is now if you haven't given yet to the wool lab but I know we've got some of the donors here Ag West Farm Credit I see John Helly sitting out here in the crowd his family came in with a big donation so this is the time to invest in the future of the wool industry yep yep it that facility is going to take us for the next three generations, and I, I think the future for wool is bright. It's, it doesn't look good right now, but I think at some point people are going to realize, wow, we really have to get back to a more sustainable clothing-type system, and I think that lab's going to uh, play a big part in that. You bet. Go ahead, Tom. Well, I was going to follow up on that. Again, uh, that's uh, Brent Rader with the MSU Extension uh, Office, a sheep specialist there, um, and Coulter Brown with the Northern Ag Network, Tom Schultz here, Voices of Montana. Again, just recycling. Callie Michaels with us. We'll hear from here and j- her in just a bit, the Public Affairs Director for the Wool Growers, uh, Ben LaFelt as well, ASI, that's American Sheep Industry Vice President, and also Dave McEwen with the American Land Board. I was going to have you follow up a little bit, Brent, on just to uh, educate our public about what kind of issue we're dealing with when you talk about microfiber contamination and uh, out of polyester clothing. Uh, um, I've, I've noted that um, the plastic industry is, is feeling the same sort of heat in that regard, but uh, what's the nature of this issue? Yeah, it's, a, it's a growing issue. Everybody knows about the, the big plastic garbage pile out in the mm-hmm. Pacific Ocean, but what people don't realize is they're starting to really key in on what they call microplastic contamination. So this is under five millimeters. It's very, very small plastic. It either is it's degradation from plastic bottles or, uh, or uh, wrappers or food service type stuff. But they, they've identified one of the largest contaminants, about 45% of it actually comes from washing clothes. That clothes breaks down over time and it gets into our freshwater system. Um, and they're starting to there was just a study come out of uh, China the other day that it actually is up in our, uh, gets up in the clouds too, and uh, they're actually, the first time they documented that it actually could affect cloud formation. So um, it, the stuff is literally everywhere and nobody's really looking at it. So Yeah, and I, th- I know they're documenting it, and I don't think they have yet understood um, how, to, how impactful this issue could be. Yeah. No, they're they're just starting to look yeah. into that. They they know it has some effects, but I, it's one of those deals that's so big. I don't know that anybody really wants to know what how big the problem really is. You know, so yeah. Speaking of um, wanting or not wanting to know, let's look, let's move over to that legislative session uh, with Callie Michaels, the public affairs director. Um, recently in Montana, we can also throw on the farm bill. Uh, I'm not sure how much. Um, um, engagement you guys might have with that in that regard but this last session uh, what what was your takeaway from that for the the wool growers and the land producers well i would say it was a, a successful legislative session for the the wool growers every uh every bill that we took a position on went the direction we were hoping it would go so uh from that perspective it was it was a good session it was a good session for agriculture because we had a very strong um uh political force in in the legislature and so uh it was very easy to get 
good policy through. Um, actually, part of the challenge was was slowing things down enough to get the language cleaned up to where um, there wouldn't be issues down the road. But yeah, good good legislative session. We were happy to see uh, some appointments for the uh, livestock board. We got uh, one of our members, Nina Bacchus, back on. She's been on for a long time, and so it was good to see her back on. A lot of support from the uh, governor's office for her and, and as well with the Livestock Loss Board, two of our members were appointed for the Livestock Loss Board. So we got Dave McEwen and then uh, Raina Blackman on the Livestock Loss Board. So um, big win for, for sheep to have so many voices involved in those groups. And then some of the other um, issues, of course, we're always looking at, at predator control funding. And we were uh, pleased to see the legislature on their own add an additional $100,000 to the Livestock Loss Board this year uh, to help with funding. So that was, uh, that was very, um, very generous of them to, to make that offer. And then we also got some additional funding from the Department of Livestock for uh, Predator Control, Wildlife Services, um, trying to get some more funding to hire and retain meat inspectors, upgrade equipment at the Montana Veterinary Diagnostic Laboratory, and then, and then again for the Livestock Loss Board. So um, the other big bill we were watching was, of course, uh, trying to clean up Montana law to promote grizzly bear delisting. And so we spent a lot of time on, on that uh, to make the federal government at peace with the state taking over management. And we're, we're not there yet, but we're still working on it. Not there yet, um, and that's going to take a, a little while, I presume, as well. And and you have to keep working on that issue. Right, right. So the uh, Fish, Wildlife, and Parks has has uh, put out a new grizzly bear management plan, which is intended to help reassure the federal government that that the state is ready to take over that management and and handle the grizzly bear population without federal intervention, so we can get them delisted. Uh, they recently passed, uh, they didn't pass, they, they issued for public comment the administrative rules that needed to be revised to satisfy the federal government um, that, that the state is not going to kill all the grizzly bears <laughs> and that we are capable of that management uh, and put them at ease. So we're, we're slowly working our way there. We still haven't gotten um, federal government to turn over that authority yet, but uh, it seems like there is more movement in that direction than there has been in the past. Kelly Michaels, thank you for that. We're going to take a break and we'll come on back. And then Dave McEwen with the American Land Board. There's some things to address um, regarding sustainability in, the, in a study out there. Colton Brown is with us as well. Ben LaFelt, it's Brent Raider, Kelly Michaels, and Dave McEwen. We are live at the 140th Annual Montana Wool Growers Convention here in Billings, Montana. From Montana for Montana, it's Voices of Montana. There's an invasion happening at our southern border. Millions of illegals and dangerous drugs are coming into our country because of Biden's liberal policies. Pro-Trump conservative Tim Sheehy will fight back. A decorated Navy SEAL, Sheehy completed hundreds of combat missions. He was awarded the Bronze Star and the Purple Heart. Sheehy knows President Trump's border policies worked. 
That's why Sheehy supports Trump's wall and will destroy the Mexican drug cartels who bring deadly fentanyl into America. As senator, Tim Sheehy will fight to end sanctuary cities, deport criminal illegals, and oppose amnesty. Sheehy is strong on the border and tough on illegal immigration. Navy SEAL, political outsider, pro-Trump conservative Tim Sheehy for Senate. More Jobs, Less Government is responsible for the content of this advertising. Paid for by More Jobs, Less Government. Not authorized by any candidate or candidate's committee. www.morejobslessgov.com. Thanks for joining us again. Tom Schultz alongside is uh, we're in front of the wool growers here in front of a live audience uh, for for the broadcast here and talking colter brown is with us as i mentioned dave McEwen, american land board callie michaels public affairs director with the wool growers brett raider is with msu the extension office a sheep specialist there and ben lafeld uh, has a couple of titles so he should be getting peppered a little bit here uh, american sheep industry vice president and the mwga director colter you bet tom well we've kept dave McEwen off the microphone for long <laughs> enough we probably ought to give him a shot dave of course uh ranch in the Sweetgrass Hills and is on the American Lamb Board. And David, your job on the American Lamb Board is pretty simple. It's increased demand for lamb. And so how are we doing with, with the lamb checkoff? What, what report do you have on how lamb demand is performing in the U.S.? I think it's pretty good. Um, my job is to promote American lamb and only American lamb. And uh, with one of the smallest budgets in the promotion business whether it's uh, chickpeas, beef, or whatever else, I think we're doing very well. We just got back a sustainability study or a carbon footprint study from Michigan State University, and that's going to show a lot of good news for everything that the lamb producer has been doing his whole life. Um, If we had 5 million sheep like uh, we did back in the 30s in the state of Montana, we could uh, have enough carbon credits to run uh, five coal-fired generators. So uh, it, that, that report, that, that'll finalize here in the next little bit. And then we've got our Climate Smart grant that we just received for a great deal of money. Uh, we've we've uh, set up Montana State University to uh, do some plots and some smart management practices so that we can pay producers to implement management practices and emit, or excuse me, monitor emissions, greenhouse gases, and all of that. Uh, Things are very positive. We're working on, well, our goal is primarily promotion of a product. We also have to have that product to promote. So we've spun off into uh, promotion of the industry, so to speak. You bet. And so where does that go? The sustainability study, the Climate Smart Commodities Grants, what's the, the end goal of that to, to benefit the sheep industry? How do you use that information to, to benefit producers? Well, hopefully, um, I have a little different approach on it than most people, but <laughs> I think what they're going to find out is that us as, as sheep producers have already been doing this stuff, and, and we're already climate smart and uh, we're, very, we're very good at what we do, and we do it all for the right reasons, along with the production of wool and lamb. Um, but we hope that we will go out there and we will find uh, consumer acceptance to our product at a higher level than it is. And um, uh, in turn, we can say this is why we don't want imports, because they don't do this or they don't do that. And uh, we're actually uh, way ahead of the ballgame uh, with, with everyone else. 
Well, I hear you over there dropping the word imports in there. I know that's a topic that uh, that gets your blood up, but something that that I think we do have to have to consider. I know uh, Ben, the American Sheep Industry Association, spent a lot of time here looking at trade and, and lamb imports, and there's legislation right now to sort of stop the importing of, of lamb from from the UK. So, what, why is that an issue? I mean, think of the the general public here that's listening. Why should they care about lamb being imported into the U.S.? That's a, that's a two-edged sword because. The American producer at this point in time doesn't produce enough lamb to fulfill all of our markets within the United States. That's that's a fact. Um, Imports right now are 274% of our production, our our domestic production. So you say, how can that help us? You have to have product on the shelf, irregardless of who it is, to keep people coming back to that product. So if you want to say, okay, so what's my job as uh, uh, as uh, American Lamb Board? My job is to convince the American public, and it doesn't take a lot of convincing, as we found out this last summer, that we have a superior red meat. Ours might cost a little bit more, although right now I don't know if the price differential is all that great. It sure isn't with beef. I mean. We're, we're as even right now with beef as we've ever been. But um, our product is superior. So we watch imports carefully. Um, we were ex- extremely happy to uh, get the UK shut down. And that wasn't because of dumping or anything of that nature. That was a, that was a health issue. And uh, ASI did a really good job of that. Yeah, so Ben Lapel here. We've been uh, working on a, trying to promote a stop and study. So what we have in the U.S. is a very great consumer base that everybody in the world wants to be a part of, especially when you talk about red meat and some of these you know, luxury products, and lamb is a, is a great product. Everybody loves it. Um, so there's a very big demand for people outside of the U.S. to utilize our markets. Uh, some of the other things that work against us are currencies. You know, we can't control that, but we can, as ASI, try to put our producers as, in a footing that we can compete with these other countries that see our market as a great consumer um, portion. So what, what we did, ASI just got done with a study to try to look at, are, is there dumping or countervailing or subsidy conditions that, that are uh, not allowing that equal playing field. So we looked at both New Zealand and Australia and looked at whether that, that was the case. And if that was the case, we could circumvent any legislative uh, or political formats and directly put an import tax on that. What we didn't find at this point is a large dumping at that point, maybe 1% to 2%. But it wasn't to the level where we could spend the $1.5 million to go after a specific case with the International Trade Commission to, uh, to put that into effect. So we're doing some other things. Uh, one of the things I want to talk about is uh, Livestock Marketing uh, Agency with, uh, with Goggins, Joe Goggins here in Montana. We're doing that across the cattle industry, sheep industry, looking at producer profitability. What can we do, especially on the political side, to put our uh, producers in a better foothold, not only uh, now but for transition of generations? 
Um, we also are putting, when we talk about wool, uh, ASI has put some re- reverse trade missions together. Now that COVID has gotten, gotten settled a little bit, some of our ports have opened up. We've gotten China and India back in here to try to start buying up some of these wools that they used to take a lot of uh, this the, and, and, and create those markets a little better. So uh, ASI is trying to work on these to put our producers in, in a footing that we can compete for this great consumer market we have in the U.S. Well, how is that that wool market doing? I mean, we haven't really got into that yet. I know it's been a challenge. You go back to kind of the pre-trade war with China, it was much stronger. But where is it at today? I know we've, we've seen some challenges here over the last five or six years. Yeah, it's been a challenge through COVID because of, you know, a lot of our uh, uh, processing uh, went to China beforehand. So that interrupted that cycle. Uh, but um, we're, we are lucky in, in Montana and Wyoming. We produce a very quality wool product. We have people like Duckworth, that you know, Montana company, delivering wools across the U.S. and internationally. Uh, we produce a different product when you talk about wool that is still in very high demand right now in that next to skin in that fine wool. So we are lucky here uh, that we still have that market. Some of the Midwest, some of those meat breed sheep are not as lucky because all of that processing went through China and so that has really hurt that so ASI is trying to address some of that to keep these wool breeds around. And Brent might have you touch on as we come up to the break the wool pool process. I think that's a a cool collaborative effort that a lot of Montanans probably don't even know about. Yeah it is a it is registered with the state they're a marketing organization Uh, there were a lot of pools so it's basically uh, small and mid-sized growers form a, a pool organization. They deliver once a year, and it basically provides uh, economies of scale and marketing and transportation for those pools. Uh, and uh, we do an Eastern Consolidated Wool Pool, which has about seven seven pools, over 100 producers. That wool all comes in uh, and gets marketed as, as one package, about 90,000 pounds. So, yep. Oh, very good. Well, we're, I know we're, we're coming up on the break here. Tom says we've got two minutes, but Ben, I want to maybe circle back, and, and Dave, feel free to jump into this, but you mentioned the, the producer profitability initiative. I think that's crucially important for the entire egg industry, but maybe the lamb industry more so than anything because of the, the aggressive fluctuations we can see in price in the lamb industry. Look back to where we were a year ago today. Lamb prices were what? 40% lower than they are today. So those type of swings year to year. Try to think of your paycheck changing 40% every year. That's what happens in the sheep industry. Most people in this room don't have to think about it. They see it on <laughs> Our listeners but, on the air. But, you bet. But, you yeah, bet. It's, it's always been an issue, and that's why we're looking at these RMA products. We're looking at the Livestock Marketing Association. What can we do uh, And we at, in, in terms of taxes and uh, to help our small farmers and ranchers, to, to help our agriculture industry to help our food supply in the U.S. And that's what we're really going to dive into with this Livestock Marketing Association. And we've invited them to, to be a part of our convention at ASI in, in Denver as well to, to really spearhead this and, and take it forward and work as an agricultural industry across the U.S., across Montana, to build a better future for ag. And how do we do that? Is it through... Adjustments in taxes, helping yeah. the next generation. Well, I think, How do we actually do it? Yeah, this LMA is probably going to focus a lot on the legislative and tax issues because that, that can carry across a lot of different groups. We're not going to get in the weeds with sheep and cattle and, and try to fight against each other or anything, but there's a lot of things we can do together. You bet. 
Well, Tom, ben LaFelt, again, American Sheep Industry Vice President and also with the Montana Wool Growers Association, Director of the program. We'll continue on here, have some audience uh, questions. That's great. We're live in front of uh, the audience here, the 140th Annual Montana Wool Growers Convention. Dave McEwen, uh, Callie Michaels, Brent Rader, Ben LaFelt, Coulter Brown, and yours truly, Tom Schultz. We'll be back with more here in just a bit. Voices of Montana continues right after this. Hey parents, does it seem like your kiddos always get sick at the worst times? Recently, my daughter came down with a bad cold over the weekend, but I didn't feel like it warranted an expensive ER visit. That's when I remembered about Montana Pediatrics. Within minutes, I was able to connect with a Montana-based pediatric provider. We got great care, a thoughtful treatment plan, and didn't even have to leave home. Learn how Montana Pediatrics can support your family at montanapediatrics.org. Thanks for being here. Appreciate that. Making us part of your Montana mornings. Two decades strong and working on three. It is from Montana for Montana. Voices of Montana live in front of a live audience here. Proof. All right, I appreciate that. Very engaging today uh, as we are at the 140th Annual Montana Wool Growers Convention at the Billings Hotel and Convention Center. A list of experts up here have enjoyed the first half. More to come. Coulter Brown is with us, Northern Egg Network Director. Callie Michaels, the Wool Growers Public Affairs Director. Brent Rader is with MSU, the Extension. He's a sheep specialist. And Ben LaFelt, the American Sheep Industry, and also the Director of the Montana Wool Growers Association. Well, Tom, this is Coulter Brown. One topic that we, we just touched on, but I, I think bears a lot more time spent on it, is, is predators and, and specifically grizzly bears and the Endangered Species Act. Callie Michaels, Montana Wool Growers Public Affairs Director, touched on that. And Callie, I, I think there, there's more that we have to, to say on that to really dive into it as we try to get these grizzly bears off the endangered species list. We were able to do so with wolves and demonstrate that Montana can effectively manage a species on their own. And, and now th- this year we've seen reports of grizzly bears in the Missouri breaks this year so they're expanding their range what to, how does Montana wool growers attack this issue well through the legislative session we were uh, working with uh, closely with fish wildlife and parks and the other ag groups uh, as well as with the um, uh, wildlife groups to try to come up with language for state statutes and the administrative rules that reassures the federal government that we are serious about protecting the population. I think everyone in Montana knows that the population is secure and that they're not at risk of, of becoming endangered again, but uh, reassuring at the federal level that, that we are committed to maintaining a healthy population but still addressing the problem bears that are causing uh, depredations um, and, and really focusing on uh, that genetic inter- interchange without uh, creating new issues by, by moving grizzly bears into to new areas. And, and I think what we see with on the ground is that when you move a grizzly bear, then they become habituated to people and, and become typically more of an issue. And so our focus has been on leaving the grizzly bears on the ground, um, protecting the population, the core population, reassuring the federal government that we are committed to protecting that, but also ensuring that we have the tools to uh, protect our livestock producers 
from depredation and, and ensuring that we can get compensation when grizzly bears do kill livestock. So that has been the, the core of our focus, and we've been working closely with the agencies on I that. I want to ask, is, is the grip of the environmental community on this issue lessening a little bit? I would say during the legislative session, the, uh, the wildlife groups were very willing to work with agriculture on on language that was beneficial to all parties they were and I think part of that had to do with the uh, the group of legislators we had in effect they knew their position was not a winning position this year uh, due to the the political force in play in in Helena and so I think they were they were very willing to work with us and it was uh, good conversations I mean obviously they've got their points that they're not going to bend on we've got our points we're not going to bend on but we were able to meet in the middle on a lot of things, and I would say it was a, it was a good relationship this good. year. Need that start. Need that to keep going. <laughs> Dave McEwen, I know you have some opinions on grizzly bears, of course. Uh, and, Dave, you're also on the Wildlife Services Advisory Committee. Is, is that right? And, so, and you're also I, I, on the air, too, so don't forget that. Before one. <laughs> said you're also on the air, too. Okay, so okay. Was, uh, yeah, yeah I, get, I, get, I can get pretty fired up pretty quick. Um, a couple of things that we were closer Sorry. Yeah. A couple of things that we did uh, with Wildlife Services, we'll, we'll have this discussion later this afternoon. Um, we have asked them to amend the MOU uh, between Wildlife Services and the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, two different agencies. Um, currently, we have a, a small pittance of money that we use with uh, USDA to manage depredating bears. And because we see delisting coming down the pipe, well, some people see it coming down the pipe, uh, we've asked for more money, and we've asked for a continuance of that agreement for five years after delisting. And, and that's because that problem, this problem isn't going to go away. Uh, so if they want their species to propagate and, and grow and, and go to Jordan, Montana, um, they had better have an agency that manages the bear for the agricultural people. If that agency, which is USDA Wildlife Services, is not in a place of authority for the bear and other endangered species, those species will go away. I will guarantee you that. Uh, there's a few people that are kindly finally starting to wake up to the fact that they will go away if we don't have that management. And so we were pretty happy when we came out of D.C. that we, we got that language in there. Um, it's being addressed as we speak uh, with the Secretary of Ag and hopefully the Secretary of Interior. So things are moving that direction, but uh, the problem's coming. Uh, just a note, about 10 years ago, I was in Malta talking about uh, a checkoff uh, fund for wildlife services and primarily coyotes, and I had a few grizzly slides uh, from south of me just a little ways, and I said, if you don't think they aren't coming, just stick around. Well, that time has come. It has, it has. And, and as we think about a, a federally protected apex predator that can cause damage to livestock operations, Callie mentioned that we've got more money to the Montana Livestock Loss Board, but are there federal funds available? This is a, a federally protected species. Is there money to help 
the the producers that that have to live with these like yourself at times dave we have uh within the uh livestock loss board which is a state entity uh, we have federal funds to give grants for preventative projects when a producer feels his life his family his his uh livestock his property is in peril we have uh, some things that we can do wildlife services has a very large fund for uh, non-lethal work and some of those things include that there is help out there Um, until you've experienced this problem you really don't know what kind of help you need and uh, we're finding some things that work and we're finding some things that don't work, and we're finding some reasons why they don't work and why they should be working. And uh, it gets kind of controversial sometimes. Uh, what's, the, what's the average loss? And I know it's a roulette wheel from, from producer to producer, but give our audience an idea of um, what producers deal with in terms of percentage of predator loss on an annual basis. Or I can only speak for the uh, sheep industry. Um, and it, it's been significant, and, and this, this covers the gamut from, from bears, wolves, lions. Yeah. Our, our, largest, uh, our largest predator problem is with coyotes, so a growing number of coyotes. Even in the urban areas, we've, we've got people in Illinois wanting to know where Wildlife Services is. And I'm, I'm kind of tickled, really. I said, welcome to my world. Um, <laughs> We're still seeing losses within the uh, sheep industry, within flocks, right out here, with the people out here, anywhere from 10 to as high as 30%. Um, Those are dollars we don't spend downtown. And when you don't support wildlife services, when our legislators don't support wildlife services, those are monies that are co-opted with producers that come back to producers so that we can save one lamb and have another $200 to spend downtown somewhere. So it's not welfare money. I mean, this, this is a very viable program. There, there are experts at what they do, and uh, that's kind of the realization of the whole industry right now. It's pretty significant. I, I want to come back and maybe talk about guard dogs. Uh, because we've, we've seen reports, and I've talked to actually producers who are, who are using them, um, and, and they say that it's been effective to a certain level. We'll see. Um, as we do have to take a break here, the 140th Annual Montana Wool Growers Convention live on Voices of Montana. Uh, quite a guest list here. Ben LaFelt is with us. With the, uh, he's the director of the MWGA. Brett Rader, sheep specialist, MSU Extension. Callie Michaels, public affairs director with the Wool Growers. And then Dave McHugh, an American Land Board. Coulter Brown leading the charge here with the Northern Network and yours truly, Tom Schultz. Back with more Voices of Montana in just a bit. During big game season, we'd like to remind hunters that respecting private landowners and the access they provide is more important than ever. Positive relationships between hunters and landowners impacts all recreationists. Please remember, respecting private land and building relationships with landowners protects hunting access opportunities. Hunting private land is a privilege. Ask first to hunt, fish, and recreate on private land and follow ethical fair chase hunting practices. It's up to us. Respect access, protect the hunt. Visit fwp.mt.gov slash it's up to us. 
All right, you'd think they were fast with the she, uh, speed shear competition. This is the lightning round at the 140th annual Montana Wool Growers Convention. Tom Schultz alongside, Colter Brown is with us, and a host, Ben LaFelt, Brent Raider, Callie Michaels, and also Dave McEwen. Andy Schwab is out in the audience uh, as we're live here at the Wool Growers Convention with a question. Go ahead, Andy. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Tom. And as you mentioned, that uh, shearing competition coming up tonight, if you haven't had the chance to be here for that, you definitely got to get here where they have to shotgun a, a team member has to shotgun a beer and then they have to shear sheep as fast as possible. It's quite the impressive thing. But yes, you're right. I have some questions out here in the crowd. I'd like to talk to, or toss it over to Nina Bacchus now. Well, thank you. Um, I have five questions, and since I can only ask one, I've pared it down. But I did want to add a comment to Dave's uh, comment about uh, predation and the effect on the sheep. It's not just the lamb that's killed. The stress to that ewe will be so bad it will affect her health, and she may not get pregnant again after that. And so it, the residual effect is also incredibly bad. So all these questions. Okay, uh, Brent, you uh, mentioned the plastic and the microplastic, and if I understood you correctly, uh, it does get into the blood system. Is that right? And so what is the effect to the human health from the plastics? They're, they're just now starting to look at that. Um, a lot of it is, is looking at gut health. They know it causes a lot of inflammation in the gut. Um, but they haven't documented uh, a lot of the stuff. Like, they found it in breast milk samples. They found it in heart tissue. Uh, so it's showing up everywhere. Um, and uh, they're just starting to really take a hard look at it because the problem really was only identified a few years ago and, and really becoming common knowledge now. So it's just something that they're really starting to look at from a health standpoint. They've obviously had a few other things to focus on health-wise the last couple of years. So, Yeah, really good points there, Brent. Um, also, we have Rick Holden here with us to, to ask a question from the crowd. Yeah, thank you. Maybe as a discussion point, I've been a member of the Wool Growers Association since 1991, um, and maybe Ben could take this to start off with. When I talk to producers out in the country and I ask them, why did you quit or why won't you get into raising sheep? Always, always, the number one answer is coyotes. You, you cannot take anything to market if it's dead and eaten up by a coyote. So in the, in the 2001 legislature, that was essentially the last time the legislature ever looked at Montana's bounty laws. And so what I'm wondering is, has the, has the board looked at using the current statutes in the Montana codes to put back in place uh, a bounty system for coyotes rather than just relying on a government agency to arrive after the effects of deprivation? And Dave McEwen is going to take this question? Yeah, we we did uh, way back in the day. It, I don't remember how many years ago I was president. Uh, we wrestled this when the wolf was coming into uh, into population, putting a bounty, uh, and it was along with the same language as uh, make classifying it as a predator. Uh, the bounty system, I think, is is on the books on a lot of counties. The problem with the bounty system is. Who's going to pay the bounty? The other part of the problem with uh, coyote uh, collection, <laughs> I guess is a nice way of putting it, um, as, as we see it today, is the cost of doing business. 
I remember everybody used to have a super cub in their in their backyard, and a and a shotgun and a good friend, and um, you can't afford to apply uh, that for recreation very long and take care of those issues. I remember when coyotes were a hundred dollars and uh, gas was twenty five cents. Um, it was it was a mad race, literally. Other way so, around now, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and so the the uh, the system the system is in place. I don't know how feasible it could be, and we can't find the money to pay the bounty. You guys, I can't thank you enough. Uh, we covered a lot of topics here and, and a lot of good information out there, and I, I appreciate how you guys are dedicated and working uh, on these topics. Thanks again to all, and you guys have a great weekend. We will see you Monday. Thanks again for joining us for the podcast and join us daily Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. for more Voices of Montana, a live issue-oriented talk show heard daily Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. on local stations all across Montana.